KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. I'm Claudio Mendonça. Although many Sierra Nevada plants have evolved with fire and are adapted to it, Joshua trees, the iconic evergreen plants that are native to the Mojave Desert, are not. The California Report brings us an assessment of the York Fire and explains how invasive weeds are changing the fire return interval of that ecosystem and how that may change the landscape in the long run. Then, Felton Pruitt talks with Nevada County District 1 Supervisor Heidi Hall about the current wildfire insurance crisis. Al Stoller shares the work of Dr. Linda Malkus, a cancer researcher whose most recent work was published on Tuesday in Cell Chemical Biology. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Former President Donald Trump will campaign in California next month, speaking at the California Republican Party's fall convention in Anaheim. The announcement comes even as Trump faces new indictments, this time over his efforts to overturn his defeat in the 2020 presidential election, like his role in the January 6th insurrection. Cap Radio's Nicole Nixon reports. California Republican Party Chair Jessica Milan Patterson said she is thrilled to welcome Trump back to the state for the party's convention in Anaheim in late September. The announcement came hours before Trump was indicted on four counts of conspiracy and obstruction. It also comes days after the California GOP voted to change its rules for awarding delegates. Whichever Republican candidate wins more than 50 percent in California's March presidential primary will get all of the state's GOP delegates to back them in the national convention. The rule change is seen as favoring Trump, who continues to top presidential polls among the state's Republican voters. For the California Report, I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento. The York Fire, California's largest wildfire of the year, is currently burning in the Mojave National Preserve along the border of California and Nevada. The fire is also the largest one on record for the Mojave Desert, a place where such wildfires are rare. Monitoring the situation from Los Angeles is LAist science reporter Jacob Margolis. So Jacob, tell us more about this fire. What have we been seeing so far? Yeah, so uh, it's been pretty extreme. It popped up on Friday, July 28th, and has so far covered 80,000-plus acres, particularly in the Mojave National Preserve. It is the largest fire in recorded history for the preserve, and reports are saying that they're seeing 20-foot-tall flame lengths, uh, fire fronts that are six miles long, just tearing through the desert, and um, fire whirls, which are kind of the younger cousins, the littler cousins of fire tornadoes, which can be uh, quite a nuisance for firefighters. Hmm. You know, unfortunately, we've become so accustomed to seeing big wildfires in our forest areas of California and in more alpine conditions. How unusual is it to have a fire of this size in the Mojave? Yeah, not usual at all. A lot of these species out there, especially Joshua trees, are very much not fire adapted. Now you head to our forests, uh, something like a giant sequoia, it needs fire to proliferate. It is good for the ecosystem there. Now in the desert, it's not to say fire never came along in the distant past, of course. However, uh, when these Joshua trees do burn, for instance, at very high severity, which means just very, very hot, um, they get destroyed and that ecosystem might not recover for a couple centuries, um, which is really sad and it's kind of scary. Hmm. And are these kind of wildfires becoming more common in these kind of places like the Mojave? And if so, why? 
Yeah, so there are a variety of reasons why we're seeing more and more of these fires. Um, one of them has to do with invasive weeds that are uh, like red brome that are filling the space in between Joshua trees and other plants like yucca and able to basically help the fire hopscotch in between, uh, you know, to the, the various Joshua trees. So it's filling in the space, providing a lot of fuel to keep the fire going. And when it comes to recovery in the short to long term in the Mojave after a fire, what does that look like? We could see some Joshua trees re-sprout from their roots if the fire was not too severe. However, this fire seems to be have been quite severe. Uh, besides that, you know, the first thing to come back is probably going to be those invasive grasses. And the big worry here is the fire return interval. So this ecosystem, it might have been every couple hundred years between big fires. Now, with those invasive grasses popping back up, even if there were spots that didn't burn, um, you know, all of a sudden this landscape is flammable again just 10 years, 15 years down the line. And like I mentioned earlier, these species are not fire adapted quite often, not nearly as much as in our forests. And if a fire comes along and hits them again, you know, recovery is not looking too good. And just one other quick issue, uh, like with other wildfires, there's also an uh, air quality impact here, right? And this particular fire has affected air quality in places like Las Vegas. Absolutely. And Riverside, I believe as well. And and the bottom line, when it comes to wildfire smoke and wildfires, it, it, it is a perfect example of uh, how this is not just a local issue. A fire Wildfire smoke can travel hundreds, thousands of miles, and it is extremely detrimental to human health. Um, if you know the air quality is bad, please don't go outside. We see an increase in stroke risk, uh, COPD exacerbation, and, and, and other issues. So stay inside, turn on the air purifier fire, please don't go exercise. All right. We have been speaking to LAS science reporter Jacob Margolis. Jacob, thanks so much for joining us on the California Report. Thanks for having me. This summer marks the 59th year that Northern California's Yurok tribe is holding its Klamath Salmon Festival. But this year, there won't actually be any salmon served because of historically low salmon stocks. The California Report's Izzy Bloom has more. The Klamath River's salmon population has been declining for years due to factors like water quality issues, disease, excessive water diversion, and dams that block spawning habitat. That's why the festival's theme this year is celebrating the removal of four major dams on the Klamath over the next one and a half years. Dam removal is a huge step in improving the Klamath River and the Klamath Basin. The Yurok tribe's chairman, Joseph James, says the tribe is choosing not to harvest salmon for the festival because it's their sacred responsibility to protect the fish. Salmon is part of our way of life. Salmon is part of our culture. Salmon takes care of us. It's important for us. We take care of the salmon, too. The tribe also decided to cancel the upcoming subsistence and commercial fisheries as a conservation measure. The Klamath Salmon Festival, scheduled for August 19th, is open to the public and draws about 3,500 people each year. For The California Report, I'm Izzy Bloom. Support for The California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water with no sugar or diet sweeteners with more than 25 flavors, including watermelon and pineapple. In stores or delivered from HintWater.com. Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives, stanfordmedicine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food, on the web at theschmidt.org. 
And that is the California Report for Wednesday, August 2nd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Remember, you can listen to us anytime you want by subscribing to the California Report podcast. Get it at all the usual podcast places. You can also ask your smart device to play the California Report. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. As always, thanks so much for listening and have a great day. We begin tonight's local news roundup with something for our listeners in Rockland. Caltrans has announced the start of the Interstate 80 Auxiliary Lane and Fifth Lane project, a nearly $50 million construction project that aims to improve safety and travel times between Douglas Boulevard and Riverside Avenue and between State Route 65 and Rockland Road. According to Caltrans, an estimated 82,000 people commute daily between Placer and Sacramento counties, and an additional 78,000 residents are expected to move to the area by 2036. The project was conceived with that growth in mind to increase lane capacity and to potentially reduce the severe congestion conditions experienced by commuters in that area during rush hours. A groundbreaking ceremony took place on August 1st, and the project is expected to be completed by the summer of 2024. In El Dorado County, according to the Sacramento Bee, a bird sample was found positive for the West Nile virus this week. There were no cases detected in the county in 2022, and it's the area's first case this year. The virus was found in a house finch that was collected in the Lotus area of the county, according to the El Dorado County Public Health Department. As of July 28th, two human cases of the virus were reported in California in 2023, both in Tulare County. State health and vector officials say 147 dead birds have tested positive and 1,225 mosquito samples with the virus have been found within the state this year. Mild or moderate symptoms of the West Vile virus can include fever and fatigue. Severe symptoms in humans include neurological conditions such as encephalitis and meningitis. Severe illness from West Nile virus is rare. Only about 1 in 150 people are affected when they are infected. Vector control officials say that you can greatly avoid contracting the virus by draining standing water where mosquitoes breed, avoid being outdoors at dawn and dusk, and dressing in long sleeves and pants when outside. If you see dead birds, you can report them to the California West Nile Virus Hotline at 877-968-2473. Here in Nevada County, as previously mentioned on this newscast, Pioneer Community Energy, a Rockland-based not-for-profit utility, will begin serving Grass Valley and Nevada City in 2024. On Tuesday, August 8th, at the next Board of Supervisors meeting, the Nevada County Board of Supervisors will hear a presentation about the new option for electricity service and will consider whether joining Pioneer will be a good choice for unincorporated Nevada County. The meeting will be held at the Eric Root Administration Center and the public is invited to attend. Should the board direct staff to further evaluate the matter, the issue could come to the board for a decision as early as October. And now for the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. For Grass Valley and Nevada City, cooler than normal temperatures will continue into Thursday, although a warming trend is expected to return to the region on Friday and into early next week. Tonight, in Grass Valley and Nevada City, mostly clear skies with a low around 57 degrees. Thursday will be sunny with a high near 83, and Thursday night will be clear with a low around 57 
for Truckee and the Lake Tahoe area, typical midsummer conditions should continue into the weekend with near normal temperatures and afternoon breezes. A few afternoon thunderstorms are possible through Saturday. Tonight, Truckee and the surrounding region will see mostly clear skies with a low around 45. Thursday will be sunny and clear with a high near 77 and an overnight low of 44 degrees. Sacramento and the Valley, like the foothills, will benefit from cooler than normal temperatures into Thursday, although a warming trend is expected to begin on Friday. Tonight, the Valley will be mostly clear with a low around 57. Thursday will be sunny with a high near 86 and a low around 58. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. We're currently in what District 1 Supervisor Heidi Hall has called a wildfire insurance crisis. Rates are skyrocketing, and some insurers are pulling out of California entirely. Up next, Felton Pruitt talks with Nevada County District 1 Supervisor Heidi Hall, who recently attended the National Association of Counties Conference, where she advocated for increased federal support for people who have lost their fire insurance. We're talking with Heidi Hall from the Nevada County Board of Supervisors. She represents District 1, and she just got back from Austin, where the National Association of Counties Conference happened. You were advocating for a lot of things. One of the things you also advocated for was increased federal help for lost wildfire insurance. Why don't you speak to that, Heidi? Yeah, thank you. So this was a brand new resolution, and we actually struggled to figure out where to bring it. Um, When all was said and done, we brought it to the Justice and Safety Committee, which is dealing with emergency management issues, but we also had it co-sponsored by my own Public Lands Committee and by a Fiscal and Government Affairs Committee. And this resolution asked the federal government to look at the wildfire insurance crisis that we're having. Everyone here knows how hard it is to get fire insurance. If you're lucky to get it, it's very expensive. And we're also seeing huge increases and insurance for our fire agencies, buildings, believe it or not, threatening their own ability to survive. So when you look at national disasters like floods or hurricanes, the feds have set up backstop financial systems. So there's the NFIP, which is a flood insurance program, and there's a similar one for earthquakes. But there's nothing like that for fire insurance. And as it turns out, we have already advocated with our fire insurance commissioner at the state, Ricardo Lara, and he's made some changes, for example, getting the FAIR um, insurance program on the ground, which is helpful, but not enough. And then there's not much more we can do to regulate the insurance companies. So what the next step needs to be happening at the federal level, we ask them to study the problem and come up with a solution. We're not suggesting it has to be something like the flood insurance plan, but we know that's a model they can use. So both of these um, resolutions, it's a start. This one's especially just a beginning. We're gonna wanna work to bring some more specifics next year, uh, but this gives them the ability to begin lobbying on this issue on the behalf of our county and other counties in the United States. 
That would certainly be something great if we could get a little more help with uh, lost wildfire insurance, because that's one of the main concerns of people around here. Of course, it's so expensive to insure your property to begin with. And then if unfortunately you are subject to a fire, getting, you know, getting the insurance all through has, has always been one of the biggest headaches. So I guess that's very important to our, our community right now. It's hugely important. It affects our economy. I mean, how many people do you know who have been looking for a house up here or who wanted to stay here but could not get fire insurance or because it became too expensive, simply got priced out from living here? And then, of course, the threat to our fire agencies is also really critical. Yeah, it's a big issue, and and we need um, people at the federal level to engage the insurance companies who are regulated at that level. If people want to get more information from you about everything that you've been working on, where would they go for that? I love hearing from people, hearing what they care about, what they're interested in, and what they want us to be doing more of. So you can always reach me at Heidi.Hall at NevadaCountyCA.gov. If people want to know more about this organization, it's the National Association of Counties, NACO, and you can find that at NACO.org online and read all about um, what's happening at that level as well. We've been talking with Heidi Hall, Nevada County Board of Supervisor, and we're going to stay in touch with you, Heidi, and find out how all this progresses and how your efforts and advocacy have helped. Great. Thank you so much. We'll keep on pushing hard for these solutions. A cure for cancer remains a momentous goal for biologists, and steady but slow work continues. Al Stoller spoke with Dr. Linda Malkus of City of Hope Cancer Research and Treatment Center about the exciting work she published on Tuesday in the journal Cell Chemical Biology. To keep ourselves alive, we play 24-7. We play with jigsaw puzzles, our hormones, our digestive enzymes, our energy storage systems, all are made of molecules with very specific shapes, molecules that fit together. One such jigsaw puzzle piece that relates to our DNA is a protein called PCNA. Don't worry about the letters. Just realize that PCNA is part of a jigsaw puzzle that keeps our DNA on track. Linda Malkus. DNA interacts with about 200 other proteins inside of the cell. It's a hub, a nerve center. If we could somehow shut down PCNA in a cancer cell, that cancer cell would die. Problem is, cancer cells are human, as human as the rest of our cells. Cancer PCNA looks just like normal PCNA, except for some modifications cancer cells make to their PCNA. Malchus likens those modifications to Christmas tree decorations and gives her experimental chemotherapy drug a way to recognize the cancer PCNA and then fit into it like a piece in a jigsaw puzzle. So we were able to target the decorations on the cancer cell Christmas tree. The chemotherapy does not recognize the normal cell decorations. The trees themselves look very much alike, but the decorations are different. Yes, exactly. So we were able to target the decorations on the cancer cell Christmas tree. The chemotherapy does not recognize the normal cell decorations. In the PCNA molecule, there is a pocket that allows other molecules to sidle up 
fit in and bind to pCNA, which then allows pCNA to work with DNA. Wedge something into that pocket, and other molecules could no longer bind with it, and the pCNA molecule would be useless. That is the basis for the new chemotherapy molecule that Malkus and her team are developing. An electron microscope can magnify something like two million times. But two million times magnification is not nearly enough to see molecules. So Malchus and her team took pCNA molecules and solidified them into crystals. And through those crystals, they beamed x-rays. Using x-ray crystallography, we were able to map that indeed our therapeutic molecule does in fact bind in a particular pocket, one specific pocket, and prevents these 200 other proteins that normally would interact with pCNA from binding. I think of biological molecules as jigsaw puzzle pieces, and they're coming together and they have to be shaped just right, but they also have to be charged just right, positive here and negative there. Exactly. Long before we made this small molecule, we did a lot of study to look at this pocket, because you have a gazillion proteins inside a cell and inside the nucleus of a cell. So here I'm trying to literally develop like this little thing that's going to only go to one particular pocket. We really studied that pocket, all its charges, its space, its size. It's almost like you're crawling onto a new world, you know. You want to know everything about that pocket. I could deduce back from that pocket what the molecule should look like that should sit in there. And then we searched through like 6.5 million compounds in uh, computer databases. Six and a half million molecules. That would have the correct shape for sitting in that pocket. And how long has that taken you? People wonder why it takes so long to bring something forward. Well, we first discovered this funny form of PCNA in uh, 1998. It's actually in clinical phase one trial, and it's testing does the drug show toxicity. And so far, because our target is so specific for cancer cells, so far patients have not exhibited toxicity with our drugs. Linda, I wish you the best of luck. This has really been interesting, really been fun talking with you. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. I'm speaking with Dr. Linda Malkus, Professor of Molecular Oncology, City of Hope Cancer Research and Treatment Center. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. KVMR gets support from First U.S. Community Credit Union, supporting community and providing member owners with loans, savings programs, personal service, and financial solutions. For individuals and businesses with branch offices in Grass Valley, Auburn, and now on Sunrise Avenue in Roseville. Firstus.org. And Sierra Ambulatory Surgery Center, LLC, providing outpatient ophthalmic surgical procedures, interventional pain management, also surgeries of the foot and ankle since 2006 on Sierra College Drive in Grass Valley, Sierra Ambulatory Surgery Center at sasconline.com. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems. 
empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. Thanks very much for listening and for supporting local independent media. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a great night and join us right here tomorrow for another edition of the KVMR Evening News. 